0: So tonight we continue our series on the statement of faith, and we've come down to the last article. And this is the area. This, when it comes to the last times, I will confess to you myself. This is the area that I probably need the most um, reading and um, kind of thinking and, and meditating as well. This is a when it comes to last times. It's it, these doctrines are are um, they take a lot of work. Um, They can be difficult to understand, especially when you're comparing passages, Old Testament, New Testament, and what various uh, books say, including the book of Revelation. Um, But certainly we can read through it. And I I can tell you this, from the church that I came from, um, we shared the same views that are expressed here in the last times here at this church. And that's actually unusual. So for the majority of my, I would say, my, my friends, uh, my fellow brothers in Christ um, around the nation, um, they share a very different view of the end times. And when it comes to the end times, I would say that there are uh, three primary points of um, disagreement. Three primary points of disagreement. Who, who can guess uh, what some of those three are when it comes to the end times? What, what are the three points of— When the rapture happens. Yeah. But, yeah I. W- right right so that's well, and even before then whether there is a rapture Um, so there there's a lot of disagreement about whether there really is a rapture um, of the church and uh, if there is a rapture then when is it um, in relation to the tribulation so first is there a rapture second um, if there is a rapture when does it happen Um, does it happen before the tribulation in the middle of the tribulation or after the tribulation ends Um, and there's one other issue that um, that that's probably an even hotter one than those two what do you guys think it is yeah, the the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Yeah, so there are, I would say, two primary positions that are debated today, and it's really all millennial versus pre-millennial. Um, but there are also post-millennials, um, and, and then there are uh, pan-millennials. So, what what are these meanings? So, there's uh, pre-millennial is talking about when Jesus Christ will return um, in relation to the millennial kingdom. Now, what is the millennial kingdom? Well, in Revelation, in fact, we can take a look at it right now. Let's take a look at Revelation twenty. So Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, and and these verses are one of the proof texts that are listed in the Statement of Faith. But Revelation 20, starting in verse 1, uh, the Apostle John writes, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss. And shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So right there we see that there's a thousand year period where Satan is thrown into kind of this prison. What's referred to here as the abyss. He's thrown into a prison and he's going to be kept there specifically for a thousand years where he cannot affect the nations anymore. Um, And then it says he will be released for a short time after that. And then verse four, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then continuing in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So we see right there, there are multiple resurrections that happen. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So you see the reference multiple times to a thousand years, a thousand years, that they will reign with him for a thousand years. Um, So the idea, if you believe in the um, kingdom That Jesus Christ will establish, which I do. I believe that he will return. I believe he will set up a literal kingdom, and I believe it will be for a thousand <coughs> years. Um, so this would be a distinct period from the eternal state. Um, so what we have right now, we have the present state that we're living in right now, um, this, this fallen present state without um, our king, Jesus Christ. And then he's going to return, and then there'll be a thousand-year period where he's reigning in, on an earthly kingdom, and then following that uh, would be the eternal state um, when we're going to be um, with God forever for eternity. But this kind of intermediate state, this 1,000-year period, um, we would maintain that the world's going to be a lot better, but it's not going to be perfect. So, I mean, I think we're, what we're going to see is what we're going to see what the world would be like if it was ruled by a righteous king, um, which is Jesus Christ. And there is no more righteous, more just king than, than Jesus Christ. Um, and, and there are some prophecies that we can read through that talk about just how much better the world will be, but clearly not perfect. Um, perfection will come in the eternal state uh, following that. So the, that's um, probably the biggest, uh, I think, debate within um, those who uh, I would say are conservative Christians um, is whether there is an actual um, millennial kingdom or not. And we would say premillennial because Jesus Christ will return and then establish the kingdom and reign for a thousand years. Um, some will say postmillennial. What is post-millennial? Post-millennial means the kingdom is already in place and Jesus Christ will return at the end of the thousand-year kingdom. Um, And then there's amillennial, which is somewhat similar to post-millennial, except amillennial says there is no earthly kingdom. The kingdom is spiritual. It's it's up in, in heaven. Um, and it's 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 already going um, so so those are the three primary positions and then I mentioned pan millennial and they're pan millennials. basically those people who say everything will pan out in the end. Um, <laughs> they don't uh, they, they don't take a, a literal position here and and you know I, I, I can for a long time I could relate to people that just said look things will work out in the end don't worry about it right. Because there's a lot of debates that happen about the end times, and people say, "Well, that's not important. We we need to worry about more important things." But actually, there is um, there there is significance uh, for today. Uh, And uh, let me explain that. Consider this: Um, compare the millennial and post millennial position. I mean, I'm sorry, the, the pre millennial and the post millennial position. Once again, pre millennial: Jesus Christ comes first, establishes kingdom. Post millennial is that the kingdom was already here, and Jesus Christ comes at the end of it. Um, well, for one, if you're post-millennial um, and you're saying that Jesus Christ has already established the kingdom, then you can't take the thousand years to be a literal thousand years. It has to be like a symbolic thousand of years. Um, but if the kingdom is here now, how does that change our responsibilities today with regards to society? Think about that for a moment. Is the, millennial, the millennial kingdom is supposed to be where things get better, right? So if the millennial kingdom is here today, guess what, we, what responsibility we have as Christians? We have, we have a responsibility to make the world a better place, uh, to be more socially involved. So the idea that the kingdom is here, Christ is reigning. So if Christ is reigning in the kingdom today here on earth um, and, and we see things are not getting better, it's because it's a failure for us as Christians. We're not, we're not acting as, um, as kind of those mediators of Jesus Christ and making sure that the world is a better place. Um, so someone who is a post-millennial will also have um, a greater emphasis upon doing social good. You know, and there's nothing wrong with social good. Uh, but we would um, – what we would say, what I, at least what I would say is that if you're going to do social good, do social good with the ultimate goal of sharing the gospel, right? Uh, do social good so that you can share the gospel and, and lead people to, to Jesus Christ. And if, if you're a premillennial, you would say that the kingdom is not here. And if the kingdom is not here, then we don't necessarily have the expectation that the world is going to get better, do we? In fact, we um, actually believe the opposite, that the world is going to continue to get worse and worse, Right? Um, let me take a look at uh, let me uh, the book of Luke. I don't want to say Luke twenty four. I could be wrong about that. No, actually, it's earlier than that. Yeah, Luke twenty one. Luke twenty one. Um, Luke 21, look at verse, we'll start in um, verse 5. Luke 21, verse 5, and while some were talking about the temple that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. Now, I, I believe what he's talking about there is what happened in 70 A.D., Um, When the temple ended up getting destroyed by the Romans, verse 7, they questioned him, saying, Teacher, then, therefore, will these things, um, when, therefore, will these things happen, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end does not follow immediately. So now we see at the end of verse 9, he starts to talk about the end. The end will not follow immediately. And in verse 10, I believe he starts to make references, more references to the end. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines. and There will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name." Yet not a hair of your head uh, will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave. Those who are in the country must not enter, because these are the days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people." They will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So I think there's a, a mixing of, of prophecy by Jesus Christ where um, he's talking about wars and nations rising up, up, up against nations. These last several verses, I think he's going back and talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that will happen um, under the uh, uh, by the Romans. And in verse 25, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken then they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory but when these things begin to take place straighten up and lift up your head because your your redemption is drawing near then he told them a parable behold the fig tree and all the trees and he goes on to um share this parable um i'll go ahead and stop there but i I think when you see this description uh, from jesus christ about the future he he's talking about ultimately a time in which he's going to come back but between now and that time he comes back does it sound like things are going to get better no i mean this is this is talking about um the difficulty that awaits those who are in the faith and um i you know i i always shake my head at um Prosperity preachers, um, people um, like a Joel Osteen or, or whatnot who always, um, you know, preach, uh, you know, God wants you to be happy and good and this and that. I, you won't see him, you know, mentioning these passages because they just don't play into kind of this prosperity thinking um, that that God wants you to be happy in this life and and wealthy and all those kinds of things. Because the reality is that for us as Christians, it's like what um, Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen: If they hated you, know first that they what? Yeah, they hated me. You know, it's because you belong to me. If you belong to the world, they would love you. But because you do not belong to the world, but you belong to me, um, they will hate you. So what we see from Jesus Christ is very much, um, you know, expect things to get worse and not better. Um, and so as um, you know, so for that reason, you know, I would take more of a pre-millennial um, in addition to what Revelation say that this idea that things will get worse until Jesus Christ comes. And when Jesus Christ comes, then things will things will get much better. And it's going to be because of his rulership that things will get better. Yeah. The post-millennial, though, how do they reckon the part that Satan will be bound for a thousand years? Yeah, so if, yeah. How can this be the millennial time because Satan's not bound right now, is he? No, I, I, don't, I don't believe he is. Yeah, I don't... I don't. I don't believe he is. That's but why it would be getting better yeah. because Satan wouldn't be in the world we would have, you know. Yeah. Christ to rule over I Yeah, and, and that's the difficulty, I think, of that position. Uh, and I and I think when you look back at history, um the the people that were post millennial um, were under the impression that things were getting better. So for instance, um Jonathan Edwards is often considered the last great Puritan. He he's a theologian um, here in the US in the eighteenth um, century, um right? And um he was um, he was postmillennial. He he believed that the world was getting better and that Jesus Christ was going to return. But in his position, I can see why he thought that because he was part of the Great Awakening, right? I mean he he saw people preaching and he saw people just in massive numbers responding to the gospel and, and coming to the faith coming to faith. And so we just had massive crowds all along, um, especially the eastern border, that were just um, responding in magnificent ways to to the gospel. And so for someone like him, it's easy to see how, yeah, look, things are getting better. Um, this is a sign that the kingdom is here and, and Jesus Christ is going to return soon. He, I, I believe he was convinced that Jesus was going to return um, very soon, you know, in light of all that that was happening. Um, but, you know, but then when you get to especially World War One, World War One, and World War II, I think that's when the post-millennial mindset got really shaken. Um, because with those two world wars, it was very clear, no, the world is not getting better. It's getting much worse. And so that's why, for that reason, post-millennialism, I, I think, is is a very um, – uh, not a lot of people believe it anymore. Uh, but um, But I would say that those who are – what i would call social justice warriors um, those that believe that you know the call of the bible is social justice which i would disagree with but those that believe the call is social justice they they would hold to that post-millennialism saying that it's our responsibility we're failing it's our responsibility to make the world better um and we're not uh, we're not doing it and so for for them you know when you have a post-millennial mindset it's easy to be frustrated at people like us that say look we're just here to preach the gospel that's our great commission we're looking to preach the gospel, and, and to them, you know, they're looking at this going, no, the, the kingdom is here. What are you doing? We're, we're supposed to be helping with all aspects of society and, and, and the kingdom around us. You know, whereas um, our response would be, no, that's, you know, when Jesus Christ returns, he will bring about the righteous reign, and, and the results will be, you know, unmistakably better. You know, it's not—and, you know, it's not the uh, responsibility of man. I mean, this is all in the power of God. I mean, when we read— The words of scripture it makes very clear that when jesus christ returns things will get things will get better you know it's not things will get better if you are obedient to jesus christ no things will get better period you know so we we have to respect the power and authority that jesus christ has and the the impact that he's going to be be able to have on this earth when he comes back and reigns directly you know upon upon this earth Um, we're going to see a much greater you know improvement of of life and and um, obedience to the king when Satan gets released, then you see that the true heart of people really hasn't been changed, and they turn against Jesus and and they go against him. Uh, But what's interesting also, um, look again at um, that passage from Revelation 20. Go back to Revelation 20 again. And so when you look at um, verse verse 4, Revelation 20, verse 4, Um, this is, this could be part of the argument for those that believe in, you know, the other issue was tribulation when the church will be raptured in, in, in relation to the tribulation. This could be an argument for post tribulation or mid tribulation. Verse 4, then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and then had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So some will say, well, see, those are that that means that the church will be there for the tribulation. And it's going to be those who do not bow down, you know, that's that's who's describing the believers, um, who are there will not bow down to um, the, the beast and, and uh, the, the number on the forehead and on the hand. And uh, they're going to be uh, brought back to life and they're going to reign with Christ uh, for a thousand years in that millennial kingdom. So some people will look at that and say, see, that? that's proof that the church is going to go through the tribulation, um, but they're also going to be the ones who are martyred during that time will be brought back to life to, to reign. Um, the, um, the The pre-tribulational view would be that the church is raptured and then the tribulation happens but there are people that are going to be saved during the tribulation period and those who are saved and endure to the end they will be brought back to life and they'll reign with uh, Christ in the millennial kingdom Um, so that that would be the um, pre-tribulational view um, there Um, let's take a look at some of the other verses that are um, stated as a part of this statement of faith let's see Well, let's uh, let's read the Statement of Faith. I, I kind of jumped into those passages without reading what the Statement of Faith said. Um, our Statement of Faith said, Of last things, um, first, uh, we believe that the premillennial return of Christ for his church is an event that can occur at any moment, um, that at that moment the dead in Christ shall be raised in glorified bodies, and the living in Christ shall be given glorified bodies without tasting death, that all who are in Christ shall be caught up, to meet the lord in the air before the 7 years of the tribulation. Um, so that's um, that's talking about the premillennial return of Christ. We've got the um, we've got really the kind of the, the rapture who are is being described there as well. Um the living in Christ shall be given glorified bodies without tasting death, and all who are in Christ shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the seven years of the tribulation. Now, I would modify that a little bit because it says all who are in Christ. I would say all who are in Christ who are alive at that time. You know, I think those who are in Christ who have passed by this time um, will not uh, be raptured. I think the rapture is, is, is covering those who are in the church and, and alive at that time when Jesus Christ uh, returns. And uh, we can take a look at some passages that are mentioned here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, this is the go-to passage about uh, really our resurrection and glorified bodies. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse uh, 42. And this is, um, this is one of those promises that really should provide us with tremendous hope, especially as we um, get older and, and we see our bodies not working the way they once did. Um, starting in verse uh, 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. Um, it, it is sown in a perishable body. It is raised in imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body if there was a natural body there is also a spiritual body so this is um, contrasting our current bodies and then the future bodies that we will receive Um, we know that um, our current bodies are perishable we i mean especially those of us who um, are seeing uh, you know just our bodies break down in multiple ways we see that i mean we're in a perishable body and we're going to have a glorified body that is absolutely imperishable, um, and so we have all these contrasts between our current bodies and our future bodies. And when you go down to verse fifty-one, <clears throat> and actually, I'll start in verse fifty. Um, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the Im- does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Um, behold, I tell you, mystery: we will not all sleep, but we'll, we will all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Um, But when this perishable will have put on imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And so part of the blessing of just receiving that imperishable body is that uh, in essence we are... Uh, we, we have achieved our final victory over death. Um, you know, Jesus Christ, as he was, um, the, the, the significance of the resurrection of Christ is that we have the promise of resurrection, and then when we are resurrected, we're not just simply resurrected the way we are with all of our infirmities and whatnot. We're resurrected in, in glorified bodies, which are, are perfect, that don't have any of the weaknesses that we had before, um, and I believe part of those glor- that glorified body is that we can actually be in the presence of God now, Like right now, we can't be in the presence of of God without being absolutely destroyed. Uh, But those glorified bodies allows us to be in the presence of God and and enjoy his presence um, very directly. Um, But uh, receiving that um, imperishable body is the um, final proof that we have conquered death. You know, and death, when you think of the significance of death, uh, when was death introduced um, into mankind? The fall? Give me a a verse. Give me a, a book and chapter. Yeah. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. You know, it's, um, it's interesting. The, the Bible, um, when you look at it from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, the first two chapters of Genesis describe uh, really um, a world without sin, right? Um, a world that that is not tainted by sin, and the last two chapters of Revelation also describe a world that is not tainted by sin. So you got the first two chapters and the last two chapters, and the, everything in between, um, all the chapters and all the books in between, we have a world that's tainted by by sin, um, and uh, and really the proof, the ultimate proof of that uh, of the fact that this world is tainted by sin is death. Um, that that you know so I. I've, Often scoff when people just talk about the natural cycle of life—that you know we all live, we all die. That's just kind of the natural cycle of life, and and I understand what they mean, but um, there is nothing natural about death. When you realize that it is a curse brought about by God, um, death is a curse to us that is intended to make us really think about our mortality, and uh, and and you know what's going to happen afterwards. You know, and uh, what we do today is, um, in this society uh, today, we do everything we can to cover that up. Um, we do everything to kind of ignore that. You know, I mean, even um, in sports, like uh, you know, foot, this is known for football players. Football players, when someone gets into a terrible injury, where you know, where you know, they're you know, they they might be crippled or or lose function of their legs or arms, and they're in the hospital. Um, the other football players don't want to visit them. Um, it's, it's just well known when when someone is in that kind of condition other football players won't want to visit him because they don't want to confront that that Possibility of what could happen to them, you know and, uh, and and then also when you know you think about How much money is going into cancer research, you know, how much money is going into? Uh, fighting all these kinds of um, You know illnesses and diseases that brings an end to our life, you know A lot of people say they don't want to live forever, but you know the money suggests otherwise um, because very few people want to, uh, you know, want to, um, I guess, uh, be, to die early. You know, if they, can, if they can get rid of their ailments, if they can live just, everyone always says, I just want to live a little bit longer, live a little bit longer. You know, that's in the heart of man that we want to live for eternity. But then it's um, also the way we deceive ourselves by saying, no, we don't really want to live for eternity. You know, well, why does all this money go into, you know, all the research that it goes into? And, and it's good research. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with trying to cure those things. But I'm just pointing out that in the heart of man, uh, mankind really does want to um, live for an eternity. You know, they're just they're, – they're, I, I think they're deceiving with themselves when they say they don't. Um, but um, chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. And even before you look at uh, chapter 3, let me point out chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7, we see this, because this is important to connect to chapter 3. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 describes uh, the creation of man. It says, Then the Lord God uh, formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God formed man of the dust of the ground. In fact, the name Adam... Um, in, in the Hebrew, Adam literally means ground. Um, it means ground or, or dust. So it's uh, formed a man of the dust from the ground. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then when you go to chapter three, after the um, you know after Eve took of the fruit and Adam took of the fruit. Um, And then God pronounces his judgment, starting in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Um, In pain you will bring forth children yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you and then verse 17 um, th- this is where um, we we get the sense that death is being brought into the world then to adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which i commanded you saying you shall not eat from it curse it is the ground because of you in toil you will eat of it so in other words the, the the fruit of the ground is is going to be hard you're going to have to work hard to to get the fruit of the ground and be able to live off of it um, verse 18 both thorns and thistles it will grow for you and you will eat the plants of the field verse 19 by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground and remember we just read genesis 2 7 that man was formed from what yeah from dust of the ground so he says, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return Um, so that right there is the pronouncement of death upon adam and We are living proof that we are the heirs of Adam. How? Because we all die. The fact that we all die is proof that we have inherited Adam's nature, you know, and and that death affects us and and death affects, um, you know, really um, all life Uh, upon this earth. We understand that um, there's no life that is eternal, you know, upon this earth. So what I'm pointing out is that when we receive these glorified bodies, when we receive these imperishable bodies, um, death has been conquered. And when I say that, that, that is an extremely biblically significant event when you think about the fact that death was brought um, to us as a curse from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden. And, and at that time, when we receive imperishable bodies, it is proof that, that the curse that, that has been our greatest problem um, going back to Adam and Eve has, has ultimately been conquered. Um, and, and hallelujah to that right so it's, um, it's this is you know this is part of the hope that we should be looking forward to you know in Ephesians when Paul says um, you know he wants you to know what is the hope of your calling you know this is we have one hope of our calling um, that's exactly as it. this future that we can reign for that we can live for eternity in the presence of our Lord and not have to worry about the effects of death um, you know some people talk about how they've um, oh, heaven sounds too perfect. I don't want perfection. You know, I want, you know, the, the, the people will say that, you know, that, that it sounds boring because it sounds too perfect. But then when you look at when people buy houses today, you know, what's the, uh, what's the three most important things when it comes to real estate? Location, 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 right? Yeah. I mean, anyone does real estate. The three most important uh, factors in, in real estate is location, location. And the idea is that you need to find that the most important aspect of your home is where, where it's going to be located. And the idea you find a good neighborhood, you know, you find where it's going to be safe and there's good schools nearby and whatnot. And so people will say they don't want, um, you know, heaven sounds too boring. And yet in their own um, in their own behavior, you see when people look to buy new homes, when they look to move into new areas. Um, they don't actively look for an area that's worse than the area that they're in, right? Yeah. They, they, they people seek out better areas. You know, they seek out something with a nicer view with that, that's safe, you know, and especially if you're raising children, you want to be able to raise children in a place that's uh, family-friendly, that, that has good schools. Uh, you know, so again, I, I think man is just deceiving himself when he makes these kinds of statements that heaven sounds too boring, who needs perfection, who wants to live forever and whatnot. It's like, well, all of your actions, all of your behavior um, tells me the opposite, that you actually do want to live forever. And that you do want to taste what perfection is about you know and um, you know all the ads that all the commercials that are on TV um, are all geared towards making your life better right I mean that's the image that they sell the products that they sell is gonna make your life better it's going to it's going to improve your happiness and and all those kinds of things so um, so we we see that um, in the operation of of mankind but we also see the denial um, you know of God just by you know trying to deny that that he wants what what God offers Um, so so the conquering of death, a very, very significant um, event. Let's see what else um, we read here in this article. Philippians 3, 20, you don't have to turn there. That's the heavenly citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Um, that's, um, that statement by itself um, should be a statement that counsels us in a lot of difficult uh, situations um, because we, uh, you know, we often clutch onto the things of this world. Um, we, we often um, break down when we, you know, when material things are taken away from us or when we don't have um, possessions that we want. You know, by Paul saying that our citizenship is in heaven, it should give us an image that we really are just sojourners in this world. You know, we're, we're strangers just kind of passing through until we ultimately reach our final home, which is in heaven. You know, so our citizenship is in heaven. is meant for us to look forward to going home, not to preserving our home here and, and now necessarily, Right. Um, if you, um, you know, if you if you were forced to, you know, this is kind of the analogy I think of my head is like military. When military is sent overseas, and you know, now especially with the um, conflict in, um, in in Iran, um, when people are sent overseas, you know, what is it that they look forward to? They look forward to returning home. They look forward to the end of their tour, the end of their tour of duty, that they can come back home and be with their family. And uh, when Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, that's what we need to be look, looking forward to, is our final home, our ultimate home is, is, uh, is in heaven. And I remember when fires broke out, and I've told this story before, but there was a family whose, um, uh, whose house was taken by one of these fires that uh, that raged. And we get them a lot here in California, obviously. Um, But um, as the house was um, burned up, it really burned down to the ground, that family, um, family of believers, they said to um, the pastor, um, well, the good news is that um, our eternal residence is still intact. (laughs) You know, and that's that's. That, those are people with the right kind of mindset. Whereas I, I've seen um, TV shows. You watch some of these TV shows of, of um, like tornadoes, you know, just tearing through towns and, and ripping apart these homes. And, and some of the responses from these families when they find out that their home is gone. I mean, they they just they lose it. I mean, they they're I mean they're broken. They're completely broken. It's like everything that um, that uh, every they have no more hope at that point. And and this is what um, our, our the anchor of hope for us needs to be the hope that we have. In the future in heaven 1st um, Thessalonians 4 so the rapture this is a heavily debated topic the rapture 1st Thessalonians 4 and really when we talk about uh, pre-trib mid-trib post-trib um, all three of those positions assume that there is a rapture um, it assumes that um, that that there is a rapture, and, and there is a lot of debate about uh, that the rapture, whether it's real or not. But First Thessalonians four, I, I believe, um, makes the case pretty clear. But First Thessalonians four, uh, verse thirteen. And by the way, the, the, you know the church in Thessalonica um, is proof that. Studying the end times is is not something that you should put off. It's not something just for advanced Christians. Because as Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, this is a relatively young church. Um, They're relatively new in their belief. Um, but a lot of what he is addressing here is end times um, prophecy. It, it's it, it's end times theology. And he's he's trying to clear up some confusion and, and give them hope about what's happening in the end times. Um, so, so this notion that, um, oh, as new believers, we don't need to worry about that. Well, you know, the church of Thessalonica, they were a new church. And Paul was actually encouraging them to think about these things. Right. So first Thessalonians uh, chapter four, starting in verse 13. Um, He writes this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Um, So they're right there. We we have a hope. And so we we don't have to grieve because we have a hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Um, So in other words, um, the folks in Thessalonica, they had lost um, fellow brothers in Christ who had passed away. And they were worried that they, because they passed away, they're not going to be resurrected. They're not going to experience eternal life. And so Paul is trying to give them hope. No, they, 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 they have passed away, but it doesn't mean that they're without hope. It doesn't mean that they're, that they're lost. Um, verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Um, for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the lord in the air so that we shall always be with the lord so paul here is saying that those who have passed away they will be resurrected uh, first and and they will be brought to christ and then those who still remain will also be brought up uh, to christ so actually as i'm reading this i had made a statement that the um, that the rapture is really just for those who remain but you can make a case here that the rapture includes the resurrection of those who had passed away um so so even as i'm reading this my theology is forming um, <clears throat> um, so yeah th- this would be the argument uh, for the rapture but a lot of people will say that um you know and i th- this is one of those things where i have to um, read more about the counter arguments why they would argue against this that they would say that this is um really symbolic and it's not meant to say that uh you know the church is going to escape the tribulation and, and all that kinds of stuff and um it's um and it really comes down to um you know you, the the overall framework because if if you believe um without a doubt that, um, that the kingdom is in heaven, then you have to interpret everything else in light of those kinds of words and, uh, and, and how things like the rapture is, is going to be explained. Um, so this is one of those things that in the future, I'll, I'm, I'm going to have to do some in-depth reading of the opposing um, side. I've, I've, I've already got um, books um, that I have purchased. They're sitting in my computer electronically and I got to read through them and kind of compare them. And then w- when that time comes, we'll do a more lengthy series uh, within the church to talk about uh, end times. Um, but, you know, when you read this, I mean, if you just read this and, and interpret it literally, I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to argue against a rapture, um, that, uh, that, that the dead will be brought up to Christ and, and the, church will be, that the church will be brought up with Christ and, and they're, going to, uh, they're going to escape the tribulation. In verse 18, you know, at the very end, he says, Therefore, um, comfort one another with these words. And um, even that statement, comfort one another with these words. If, if the church were um, supposed to go through the tribulation, Um, I I, it'd be odd to me that Paul would say comfort one another with these words in other words Comfort one another with these words because you're you're not going to go through the tribulation You know, you're gonna be caught up with Christ uh, The dead will be caught up in Christ and you won't have to go through all that But you know if the church is meant to um, go through the tribulation as well um, Yeah, I I don't know that hey, you're gonna go through the tribulation So comfort one another with these words, right? So it just it it seems a a little bit um, off um, I would say And um, let's see. Um, Part two, part two of the Statement of Faith. Let me read part two, the second part. We believe that the tribulation which follows the rapture of the church will be culminated by the revelation of Christ in power and great glory to sit upon the throne of David and to establish the Millennial Kingdom. Um, So there we have the Millennial Kingdom. We have the throne of David. And by the way, when we talk about the throne of David... Um, I think that is um, one of the key arguments for an earthly millennial kingdom, um, the throne of David, because where was David's throne? It was here on earth. Um, David did not reign from heaven. Um, so the throne of David, if, um, if you take an millennial approach, you've got to spiritualize the throne of David to be symbolic, to say, well, it means throne of David because he's a descendant of David, not necessarily that he's physically, you know, on the, on the throne of David. Um, but take a look at um, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. And this is a wonderful passage. We've uh, probably heard this multiple times during the Christmas season. Um, it's a great, uh, great passage. Songs have been written about this. Um, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. This is the prophecy about the child that we b- will be born to us. Now, just a reminder, chapter 7, we won't look at chapter 7, but chapter 7 is the prophecy of the virgin birth, mm-hmm. right? Is the sign that God gives that, The child will be born of a virgin. And then chapter 9, starting in verse 6, he writes this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And these are names. You think about these names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He's giving these names to this child right so there's no once again the deity of jesus christ the deity of this messiah is very clear from these passages and it's right here in in the jewish text but verse 7 there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will accomplish this so it makes very clear that this messiah who will come will reign on the throne of david and over his kingdom and if you're in Old Testament times and you're hearing this prophecy, it's unmistakable that he must be talking about a physical return um, to this world. Um, and and to, if, you're, if you take the amillennial approach, you've got to say that, no, th- this is symbolic. And so the, um, the original audience, um, they would have heard it. They would have thought that, but it would have been wrong. And and until you know until the New Testament comes, then then that's when it makes clear that this is all spiritual. And and one of the key texts that they will point to, um, you remember you may remember when Jesus Christ was arrested, you know, and he was brought before um, Pontius Pilate, and and uh, you know he's talking to various people, and um, and and he's he said he's asked, well, if you're a king, why don't you? You know, you know some about why don't you raise up your army or soldiers or something like that. And and Jesus said at any time he can call a legion of, of angels. If his kingdom were here, he could call a legion of angels to, to fight for him at any time. But he makes the point that my kingdom is in heaven, not here. And so the millennials will point to that and say, see, the kingdom of God is in heaven. It's already being being established, you know, and it's not here. So So these are passages that we we kind of wrestle with and, and on each side whether you take one position or the other you're going to have difficult texts that you've got to be able to try to explain because they're not going to quite uh, make sense um but but there we we do see the throne of david and i believe that uh, that that uh, throne of david is one of the arguments for an, an earthly reign um but look at um isaiah chapter 11 because when, when we think about um, millennialism, see all millennialists believe that there are really only two major ages that we're gonna live through. There's the current present age, you know, which is the temporal age, and then there's the eternal age. So there's two states. There, there's the current state and then there's the future state and that's it. And uh, for those of us who believe in a millennial kingdom, we could say that there are three states. There's the current state, then there's the millennial kingdom, right? And then there's the eternal state. So those of us who believe in an actual millennial kingdom here on Earth, we would say there are three states. There's what we see now, there's what we're going to see when Jesus returns, and there's going to be what we see after the thousand years are over and the eternal state is, um, is set up. And so when we look at some of these passages, um, you know, think in terms of is this, um, what state is this? Is this the current state, is this the eternal state, or is this a state in between? In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Uh, Verse 5, also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt um, about his waist. And then verse 6, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Uh, I mean, these are incredible images, right? I mean, imagine allowing your little boy to go out where there's uh, dangerous animals like this. Verse 7. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the holes of the cobra, and the winged child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, if you're all millennial, you would have to look at this and say that this is describing the eternal state. I mean, I I don't think you can say that this is the current state because clearly this is not the current state, right? So you got to say this is the eternal state. What's the problem with saying that this is the eternal state, though? What do you think? What what, what, do you see anything in this passage that doesn't seem to match the eternal state? For the earth shall be full, not heaven. Yeah, well, the earth. Yeah, and they might they might argue new earth and new heavens. Um, What's that? Verse four. Yeah, uh, verse four. Look at that. Look at verse four. You're right. Look at verse four. But with what read this and with righteousness, he will do what judge Judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Um, So this is talking about the kind of judgment that that, you know, the Messiah is going to bring. And so if this is talking about the eternal state, why is there judgment in the eternal state? There's supposed to be judgment before the eternal state. There's judgment and then the establishment of the eternal, sta- um, eternal state. Also, I mean, there's are um, depictions here of, of the young, you know, the, the young um, leading animals and whatnot. And, and, and I think when we're in heaven, I, I don't know that there's going to be a concept of, of little ones, of young ones. I mean, I think we're all going to be in glorified bodies in a mature state. Um, I, I, think, I think that's going to, to be the case. And then um, look at uh, another passage. It's also in Isaiah. Look, go all the way towards the end of Isaiah. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. And this is a passage that's going to challenge both sides. So, I mean, both sides, whether you're millennial or premillennial, um, you're, you're going to be challenged by these passages. Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25. These passages, for the amillennialists, they will say, this is the eternal state. For the premillennialists, they'll say, no, this is the millennial state. Verse 17 Isaiah 65 verse 17 for behold I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create for behold I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will it be that an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed." they will build houses and inhabit them they will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit they will not uh, they they will not build and another inhabit but they will plant and another they will not plant and another eat for as the lifetime of a tree so will be the days of my people and my chosen ones will wear out the work of their hands um, they will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they are the offspring of those who are blessed by the Lord and the descendants with them. It will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. Dust will be the serpent's food. They will don't do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is clearly not the current state, right? I mean, we can look at this and say, OK, this is clearly not happening today. Um, so the question is, is this the eternal state or is this the uh, millennial state? Um, well, the argument for the eternal state is in verse 17. He talks about creating the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the same language that we see at the very end of Revelation for the eternal state, that he creates a new heavens and a new earth. What's the problem with this being the eternal state, though? I have one, that i not yeah. right one, but it says they're offspring. And I thought in heaven you, you're not going to married Right, right. In yeah, yeah, there, there's there's um, there's no concept of offspring. I don't believe so in, in the eternal state. But what else? There There's something else too. Death. 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 We see death here. Uh, we, we see death here. Verse 20. No longer will be an infant who lives but a few days, nor old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So during this time, if you don't live to the age of 100, you'll be thought accursed by God because you died early. But in the eternal state, there's no death. Okay, so this is not the current state, but there's death here. So it's not the eternal state. So what is this? You know, and that that's going to be the difficulty. And all millennialists have to wrestle with this and what they will say. um, I read about a little bit about this before I came tonight, but um, they will say that, oh, no, this is um, there's this principle where, um, you know, people at that time, they could not conceive Um, of a world without death so they're writing in in language that would help them kind of understand and so while they're portraying death there really isn't death it's just that they can't imagine a life without death so they're you know they're 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 saying this as a means of um, so this is symbolic language of that they will actually live for eternity it's just that they can't imagine portraying life without uh, without death so that would be their explanation Um, The problem with that um, is turn back to chapter 25, same book of Isaiah. Look back at chapter 25. And remember when Paul says that we're going to have our ultimate victory over death, right? When we have the imperishable bodies, when we receive our glorified bodies, that's going to be our final victory over death. Um, Well, that statement comes out of Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, verse 8. Isaiah 25, verse 8, um, same book. He, he will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his peoples from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So there is a concept here that death is going to be no more. Um, so this this kind of explanation that they're explaining things with death because they can't imagine a world without death, well, the same author actually writes here that there's going to be a time where death is going to be swallowed up and is not going to exist anymore. Um, I, I think the main challenge of that prior verse that we looked at is that it talks about creating the new heavens and the new earth um, and that's the part that we have to struggle with because okay well the new heavens and the new earth to me that's language of the eternal state um, but this is uh, being used to describe what appears to be kind of an intermediary state which is the millennial state and um, the explanation i would have for that joe did you weren't the prophets given though yeah. not necessarily a complete timeline right yeah that's that, that's that's exactly right so joe made a good point that the the prophets when they gave their prophecies um it's not necessarily chronological it's not you know there, there isn't a timeline with each and every single statement that that they say and it's almost the um that the mountain peaks um analogy where from a distance you see a number of mountain peaks but you can't tell which one is in front and which one is is behind and uh, the other analogy that i heard is like you know, having a series of transparencies on top of each other. You know, you're looking at it and you just see the pictures, but you don't know which transparency is, is on, top of, uh, on top of which. So that would, would I, I believe, be um, a very valid explanation. I don't believe we're rationalizing this. But we see in prophecies all over the, um, all over the Old Testament that, for instance, the, old, the first and second coming of, of, um, of the Messiah are kind of mixed together. Um, and, and here what we're seeing, I believe, is that we're seeing a mixing together of both the eternal state as well as the millennial state. Um, so Isaiah is looking forward, and he sees the new heavens and new earth. And the next moment, what he sees is the premillennial state—the not the premillennial, the millennial state—when um, Jesus Christ comes and sets up his uh, millennial kingdom. So that's how I would explain that, and I think that's consistent with how we see prophecy being given um, throughout uh, throughout Scripture. So I don't think that's really that hard of a of a challenge. Um, but uh, for the amillennialists, this is one of the most difficult uh, passages, and they themselves will say this is a difficult passage to interpret. And they'll say it's a difficult passage to to interpret because the literal interpretation does not match what they believe the Bible is is actually teaching. That's what they would say. So that's why they look at this and say, well, this must be symbolic. Um, And and we all do that. I mean, we have a framework that we work with. And when we come across a passage that doesn't seem to fit that framework, if we're convinced that the Bible really supports the framework that we believe, then we'll look at a passage that seems to contradict and we'll say, well, there must be another explanation for that. And so that's what the amillennialists will do with this passage, say that there must be another explanation for that. And let me see any other verses that um, I want to be able to cover. Yeah, this is um, this is obviously a um, it's it's um, you can't go to any one one single book to get all the answers here. You know, in the book of Daniel, we haven't even gone to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel has a lot of um, prophecies um, about the end times. He, he's probably, him and um, Isaiah probably have the, the most prophecies. Ezekiel has quite a bit, too, about the about the end times and what the end times are going to look look like. And so it's um, the, the challenge is trying to piece together all these elements and trying to figure out where, where they all fit together. And I think it's a good exercise for us to try to understand those things. Um, but at the same time, let's not lose sight of, you know, our call today, how we're supposed to live our lives today. Um, because I, I know... Um, people, I know Christians, who spend all of their time just trying to figure out prophecy for the future, um, and, and they're really ignoring their responsibilities um, for today. You know, what we're supposed to do in terms of our, you know, like I said in Ephesians, how we're to love one another within the body today, as well as, you know, share the the Word of God with uh, with those who are outside, and and to, to do all that um, we're called to do today. Certainly, let's read the Scriptures, let's try to understand this as best we can, but don't make the future state um, everything, you know, but uh, but, you know, have a have a balanced uh, kind of mindset with regards to our responsibilities within the church, outside the church and and all of that. Um, any other questions or comments? And, and we're just this is just scratching the very, very tip of the iceberg of this topic. I mean, this is a huge topic. Um, so in the future, there may be like a, I don't know, 20 part series on this where we where we go through and talk about the end times. All right, if there's um, no other questions or comments, let me go ahead and close out in a word of prayer.